here, there, and everywhere. Yeah. SAFM 105.6 FM in Palaborwa. So I'm sure you've seen a thread, you know, we, we're looking at how unequal we are, we're looking at the things that separate us, uh, class as being one of them, and uh, education is another that came up earlier, we spoke about health a little bit earlier on, and at the moment we're going to be looking, and I think last week there was a lot of uh, talk around this when when the people in the Western Cape spoke about what is wrong and why is it that you have the, the amount of gang violence that you see in the area, and many people came through saying, well, there is just nothing that young people can do so it wasn't one the only reason obviously people gave for 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 gang related violence and so on but the stuff that came out a lot of it was around recreational services and access to recreational uh, spots and spaces and so on and so this this thing about recreation keeps coming up over and over again and it's a tricky one because local municipalities will always tell you you know they've got other priorities they've got to build homes and so on and roads and whatever but there is a direct link between recreational activity and brain development and I want to explore that a little bit and I've got a guest today Dr. Melody Diaha who is a neurodevelopment specialist who is going to assist us in understanding how it's not either or government and and local municipalities and and other authorities cannot make a call between for instance housing being the priority over recreation these things we've been talking about how societies can change these things have to be in conjunction with one another you can't do the one and leave out the other we've been talking about for instance aids and and people's uh, perceptions and how people uh, behave in society societies need efforts that are collaborative efforts it, you can't deal with the one and leave the other out Dr. Melody Diaha is joining me now on the line to explain this further to us because we keep talking about, for instance, education that is not effective, education that where, you know, government spends a lot of money, but we're not seeing a better outcome. Some of it has to do with how recreation is no longer a priority in schools. So, Dr. Melody Diaha, thank you very much for joining us this afternoon. And please help us connect the dots. How is recreational activity important or its impact on cognitive development? It's so marvelous that you ask such intelligent questions, my dear. It gets all my creative juices flowing. So thank you for such a marvelous um, question. And it's really, really true. Somehow we have the idea that when something is fun, it, it can't be good for your brain. Um, it has to be difficult. You have to put in a lot of effort. You, you know, that kind of stress, there must be stress involved for the brain to, for, to really benefit the brain. And that's absolute nonsense. See, the, more, the harder we try, the less intelligent we actually become. It's a very interesting thing. Because Let's say that again. Is, the harder you try, the less intelligence we become. Because there are three levels to the brain, and the top part of the brain, they call it the executive brain, it's the clever part of the brain. But you can only get to the clever part of the brain if you feel good. And obviously that means healthy, but it also means I feel good about myself. I feel good about 
my my ability to learn and learning doesn't mean to succeed every single time it's also to have faith and a positive attitude towards failing and your ability to get up from that and a very important thing in terms of recreation um, and why it's so difficult if if people or why is it so difficult if people think that you have to have a lot of stress to get anywhere in life and that it's beneficial to the brain mm. is when you put in so much effort it's normally on your own the recreation is always a social environment it's a place where we we just we just are hmm. okay so then what what would be the best recreational activity to assist us with what you're saying learning anything that is pleasurable to the person if it's pleasurable it's outdoors and it will always involve movement recreation has always a fun element to it there's laughter there's shining eyes obviously these rules so there can also be a competition of sorts but the the main focus is not the winning it's the being together well may I, may I quickly tell you a story a quick mm-hmm. story there's there's um, an, um research that um was written up by by the guy who wrote tipping point mm-hmm. and he to- tells us this story about people it's from italian people in um in europe and they they lived in a town called Rosetta. And for whatever reason, many of those people moved across to, to um, America. And when they got there, they established their own environment, which was very similar to where they lived in, in Italy. They also called that environment Rosetta. They gave it the same name. But what was amazing, and if you know anything about Italians, they eat, they love to eat, they drink, they smoke, they not necessarily go to gym every single day. But from a medical point of view, they found that there was the least heart-related problems in the Rosetta area than anywhere else in America. And there was there's longitudinal studies done. So what was going on in that town? Is it something in the water? What is it that made these people so much more healthy? And the bottom line was it was community. It was, we are together. I am not alone. And the nearest science points more and more towards the importance of people not feeling isolated, but part of the community, somebody's got my back. Should I stumble, there will be somebody next to me. I am not alone. Okay, how does this then help us when we have space problems we don't have these recreational spaces in in some of the communities that that are the most stressed and having said the story that you've just given us those are large communities but there is a sense of you know I'm lonely I'm isolated I don't feel safe and so on so how then do we use this information to assist those communities Melody, the, the thing is, um, and that's why schools are so important, and that's why workplaces are important to create, number one, and you've nailed it, safety. You can only um, participate in recreational, pleasurable activities within an environment of safety. As long as a person feels that they're unsafe or that 
um, they may be bullied in any kind of a way. They may be a target for any kind of violence. There's no way you can relax. Remember we spoke about the executive brain earlier on. Executive brain is right at the top of the brain, right at the bottom. There are three levels to the brain. Right at the bottom is survival. And when you're in your survival brain and you are fighting just to survive food-wise, health-wise, housing-wise, it's very, very difficult to find the time or the energy for that matter or the space in which to experience recreational activities. And that's why in a community like South Africa, it's so incredibly important that schools are safe environments, that that the workplace is a safe environment where, within reason, they can provide recreational activities, places where people can can go play ball, where they can sing together, where they can dance together, where they can make music together. You see, recreation doesn't always mean equipment. Mm. It's actually a safe space. Give people a safe space and give people an opportunity and there'll be that little bit of a lull, so what shall we be doing? which is using the thinking part of the brain, create the problem solving, we analyze the problem, and then, whoops, you jump to the right side of the thinking part of the brain, the executive brain, and you come up with a plan. Let's play ball, but we don't have a ball. Well, let's make a ball. Let's, you understand? So it's not necessarily equipment. Yes, that's nice. But it's a safe space for people to get together and to do things together that is pleasurable, that that's just an antidote for stress. Because the moment there's laughter, the moment there's pleasure or joy, the emotional part of the brain is jumping for joy, and that boosts the immune system. So, in the situation where many public schools no longer have activities, uh, sporting activities as a compulsory activity as part of their curriculum, I want to ask you when we get back from a break, in your ideal world, what should school look like to help us learn better? As you've just said, the more happier we are, the easier it is for us to learn. So, in the ideal world for you, Doc, how would school begin and end? I'll take your comments as well on that one. 0891-104-207. SAFM, leading the conversation. So our discussion is on the importance of recreational activities for cognitive development. Dr. Melody Diyaha is a neurodevelopment scientist and uh, she's joining me on the line. And Doc, we spoke about how learning and, and, and using the words doing it hard, the hard way is not really going to get us great results. We need to have fun to learn. So for many schools, you know, uh, creational activities are not going to be, recreational activities are not no longer um uh, what's the word? Uh, compulsory. So, in your in your view, how should school begin and end? <laughs> well, number one, I'd love it to be a safe environment. If that means you need to fence it, chain it, or do whatever you want to, so you can keep whatever is bad outside and you protect what's inside. That would be marvelous. And if we can then line that fence with trees, we just put people in nature, and they immediately 
start de-stressing. In the moment you, you start de-stressing, you feel better. There's better oxygen in, interchange, and as your brain is such a huge um, um, oxygen guzzler, the, more, the closer we live with nature, the better, the easier it is for our brain to convert the oxygen into brain fuel. My school day would start with movement and dance. Every pupil moving together. Now, research has indicated that when people move together, they work together. And in the African culture, there is such a vast resource, human capital, in in our ability to move and dance. Well, I should ex- exclude myself because my movement is okay, but the singing is not always <laughs> that great. But, but when we, all the children in the school can sing and dance together in the morning, and not just free dance, you know, a kind of a structured dance because when people move together, mm. they work together so much better. I would, after every break, I would make sure that there is some form of movement because movement, if you, if you look at a baby and if you look at the time frame, um, that f- the first thousand days is the time when the human brain develops the most. And if you watch a, a baby, a baby, even when they sleep, they are moving. So movement wires the brain. So my school would be full of movement. And whenever there's, there's a change of activity, it will go hand in hand with structured movement. You see, hyperactivity is also movement, mm-hmm. but it doesn't wire the brain in a positive way. It has to be controlled or structured movement. So so would, would, would it be like sort of um, assembly would be what, jumping jacks and a song? Would that be it? Yeah, but, but it can be a rap song. And some moves, you know, I mean, dance, it must be, it must be pleasurable. Yes, I've developed some physical movements that many, many schools in South Africa use. We call it mind moves because the movements, if you do it in a structured way, develops the mind. And, and it's a stretching movement and it's left and right side of the body moves together. It's bending forward, coming up, move to the left, move to the right. All of those kinds of Dance movements are superb to develop the thinking part of the brain. Okay. That's why people so often find um, value in, in jogging after, after work or after school because there's more oxygen to the brain, plus your frustration levels lowers. Children who are really battling to contain themselves the whole time, it, during movement and song, they get the opportunity to just be for a bit and express themselves in a constructive way while stimulating the brain and preparing the brain to sit still and to learn just now. I'm going to ask you about, you've spoken about hyperactivity not being the same as movement and fun movement. I want us to give us, give you, I want you to give us the distinction of that hyperactivity. How do you know uh, when it's gone too far? That's the question I want to have for, for you next. But I will give other people to also weigh in on this conversation at Pimela Modine on Twitter at SAFM as well on Twitter. Here, there. And everywhere. SAFM 106.6 FM in Bloemfontein. 
Nine minutes to three and you're on Life Happens on SAFM. My name is Pimelo Modena. I'm in discussion with Dr. Melody Diaha, who is a neurodevelopment specialist and uh, she's talking about recreational activities for cognitive learning. So, Doc, I asked you earlier uh, about the difference between hyperactivity and and coordinated movement how how do you know if 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 your child for instance is homeschooled and you don't have the numbers to support um the coordination with others how do you know if this movement is too much you know when should you curtail it in other words the moment a child has to move they become anxious if they can't move and if they move, they don't move in a smooth and a coordinated way. They don't move in a constructive way. They don't play with a ball. They will just throw or, or hit stuff. or it, It's just random movement to lash out in a way. Mm-hmm. And you must understand what happens in the brain when a child moves in such a way. They're actually desperately trying to find their balance point. Now, it's weird. The moment a child doesn't know where the center of gravity is, the moment they don't know where they are in space, it's as though they need movement to find themselves. You know GPS? Mm-hmm. When, whenever you lost, it recalculates, recalculating, mm-hmm. recalculating. That's exactly what happens if a child is hyperactive. It's like they are looking for themselves. Where, when it is constructive movement, it's smooth, it's coordinated. Um, if you're doing a new... You know, if you learn to play cricket or tennis or you learn to do high jump or play soccer or netball or whatever it is, there's a moment of learning when it's not a smooth movement because you're acquiring a new skill. That's completely different, but it's focused. Where with hyperactivity, it's not focused. It's random, and it tends to be rather repetitive sometimes. There's the rocking movement. There's a sideways movement. There's a bouncing movement but it doesn't go towards something. Where controlled movement is when you acquire skill, and the moment there's controlled movement, you must remember speech is controlled movement as well, but the moment there's control, impulse control, and you can control your movement, you're in your executive part of the brain. As long as you can't control your movement, it means the elevator is not quite hitting the um, executive brain. How do we help that child, Doc? Stretch the muscles. Stretch the muscles. Um, they need to move to learn to to develop the body, the muscles, and the vestibular system, which will then enable them to control their movement. And that's why, if it's a homeschool mom or dad, help the child to run. Not you don't have to run with the child, but enable the child. Allow the child to run, but then come and sit and work for a, for a period of time. They need to learn what it feels like to just be free and breathe, that's recreation, and then to focus, because that's, that's balance in life, recreation and focus. At the Mongoose Institute, we've got this move where we ask a child to stand upright, arms wide um, to the side, um, horizontal to the side, so it looks like aeroplane arms. And then you trace the outline, the silhouette of the child's body. The parent does. Um, peers can do that with each other in class, but nice and firmly, all the way down to the feet, where you hold the feet and literally plant the feet. You push down, you bear down on the feet, 
just to give that child a sense of groundedness. And that establishes a feeling of current location. The same happens with adults. When you're stressed out of your mind, you just need somebody to trace the outline, obviously appropriate touch, and with permission, it's consent, and then plant the feet to get that sense of here I am, current location, now I can plan and organize and concentrate and focus and string two sentences together. Outline of the entire body. Yeah, but just a silhouette. In other words, it's from the head all the way over the ears, down the the neck, across the shoulders, around the arms, down the sides of the body, only the sides of the body, all the way down the legs, and you hold the ankles and plant the feet. I'll send you an image if you want to put it on there, um, out there somewhere. So just encourage people to help their children to find themselves. So is this sort of squeezing touch, or is this kind of just a brush through no, the No, wood? no, no, it's firm. It's, fir- it's a firm grip. It's a firm, of. it's firm touch. You see, it's more or less the same firmness as when you would um, switch on a light. Mm. So it's not light. It's mm. not irritation. Mm. It's not a tickle. It's very irritating and it's too light. It's firm. It's, it's life affirming. It's actually, we are mimicking the contractions of a baby who, um, during birth because that has been found to have an amazingly um, grounding effect on the baby's brain and their ability to relax and feel calm and seek touch rather than avoid touch. Um, so it has a very, very positive effect on the brain. Here's a, an SMS says, school principals, especially of secondary schools, are under immense pressure to produce academic results. Hence, sports and other extracurriculum activities have been neglected. Kids are pushed to the limit to memorize stuff they hardly understand. Your comments on that? It's actually true, but if you look at the CAPS document, foundation phase in the CAPS document, there's provision for two hours of physical activity per week. And intermediate and senior phase, there's one hour of physical, compulsory physical activity per week. But the thing is not, it's not for an hour. It's these little bits of in-between time um, at assembly, at one, just before children sit down to write an exam. There are physical movements that they can do. They can do any movement as long as the stretching movement, because when you stretch, what happens? The muscles um, tighten to compact to what? To fight or to flee. So it's not conducive to learning. So you want to do any kind of stretching movement. You want to do any kind of bilateral. Bilateral, both sides of the body needs to work together. Because if both sides of the body work together, both sides of the brain will be working together. So dance, any kind of dance. In the classroom, you must be joking, where does this woman come from to think (laughs) that there's time in class for dance? Make time if you want children to succeed. Really appreciate the time you've given us, Dr. Melanie Diyaha, neurodevelopmental specialist. And uh, this is a discussion on how important it is to have fun so that we can assist our children to learn better. That conversation will be available as a podcast. I've really loved the time spent with you. I'll do this again with you tomorrow, one o'clock. And I want to thank the rest of my team, Puloso Mosala, who was with us here today, Bongiwa Thomas, Tato Maparoma, Bushokwa Motlosa and Vasa. 
Mbani Marule. And uh, today, uh, Lizette Khan will be standing in for Masichaba, uh, who is also not available today. And uh, they're going to be looking at the Constitutional Court ruling uh, that happened a little bit earlier on with regards to uh, the public protector and much, much more. It is now three o'clock.